heads and close your eyes with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for this beautiful morning that you've given us, Father. I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to even be able to worship you and come before you, Father, because we are so undeserving. Father, thank you so much for everything that you make possible and for your many blessings, Father. We just come to you this morning, Father. I pray that you convict hearts as needed, Father, and that no one would leave this church without taking care of their business with you. And Father, I love you, and I praise you, and I thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray, amen. Now I'm going to introduce Easton to come up and preach. How are y'all doing this morning? Good? Glad. Uh, I want to thank the BSU worship team for coming out. It was kind of short notice, <laughs> a little bit. They did an amazing job, as always. It's always hard to come up here and follow that up. It always makes me pretty emotional just worshiping God with them, and it's just such a blessing to hear that about every week uh, at the BSU. Sadly, I'll have to have a small break from it uh, the coming winter break, which I'm definitely thankful for, and I'm ready for that break. Uh, this semester has been a roller coaster, as you guys can probably guess, and but it's been amazing to see how God's worked through it, how he's still able to, he's still good, nothing's changed, God's still who he is, God's still perfect, God's still in his throne, and some, something as small as this uh, can't overcome God in the grand scheme of things. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Easton Birchfield. I think you all might have gathered that by now. But uh, I'm from Rattan, Oklahoma. You guys, I'm sure you all know where that is. We've played you all in sports countless times, whether it's basketball or baseball or softball. There's always some pretty good games, I'll, I'll say that. And But now I'm going to East Central University. Uh, I'm a second semester sophomore. Uh, right now I'm pursuing my business degree. But uh, I really want to preach. You know, I just I needed to get a degree to fall back on. So this is just kind of an insurance policy, so to speak. So, but my heart is I want to be a preacher. I, that's what God's called me to do. I uh, believe that 100%. And so throughout this week, since JP's asked me to share, since they thought they would be gone, but <laughs> uh, I'm so blessed that I'm able to share with you guys. I've been praying about this for probably the last month, and I just kept coming back to James chapter 4, and that's where we're going to be today. It's James chapter 4. I just kept coming back up in my head, and while preparing for this and while studying this, God really spoke to my heart. There's a lot of things here that I felt were directed at me, and I pray that you are all able to get out of it Everything that I was able to get out of it, uh, God was really working on me as I was uh, getting this together. And without further ado, I'm just going to jump into it. In James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that his jealousy, he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That is what, why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash you, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Uh, please bow with me. Dearly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, and I'm so blessed to have this opportunity to share your word, your infallible word, your completely perfect and true word uh, to this congregation, Lord. And I pray and ask that Everything I say, it just comes from you, God, and I pray it doesn't come from myself, Lord. I pray that I preach and I share what you have laid on my heart, and I pray that that's that I don't try to meddle in what you're trying to allow me to share today, God. And I just thank you for all your blessings. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So just a little bit of context, I'm not going to go too much into it. Uh, the book of James, they, are mo- they most likely believe that it was written by the brother of Jesus, or the half-brother of Jesus. It's not the full brother of Jesus, because James, his father, wasn't our Lord, it wasn't God, okay? Because Jesus was born of a virgin, but James was actually born of Joseph and Mary, so that's his parents. And that's who wrote this book. There's actually... Uh, no record in the Gospels of James coming to Christ, and they believe that happened after Jesus rose from the dead. It's kind of weird to think about uh, someone you've grown up with. Of course, Jesus was perfect and did no wrong. Just seeing your older brother and figuring out your older brother was a savior. I mean, I can imagine a lot of us, that'd be a hard pill for us to swallow. Even though Jesus was perfect and he did no wrong, that's just still hard to wrap our minds around. And, uh, Jesus rising from the dead is what proved to James that Jesus was who he really said he was. And uh, in chapter 4, I'm not going to go over verses 1 through 3. Of course, it's important. It's the Word of God. But I really want to focus on verses 4 through 10. So let's focus on the first part of 4. It says, you adulterous people. Now, I want to make clear that this is not talking about people that have committed adultery. This isn't talking about people that have cheated on their spouse. This is talking about people that have been unfaithful in their relationship with God. This is talking about people that have not trust, that do, hasn't trusted God with situations in their life. This is what it's talking about when it says adulterous. I don't want us to think, get this mixed up in our head. This has been all of us at some point in our lives. We haven't trusted in God in what we needed to trust God with. So this is directed to all of us that have been unfaithful and not trusting to God. It goes on to say, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? So if you're like me, I kind of had to look up what enmity meant because I wasn't, I've heard it, but I needed a good definition just to really have a full grasp of what it meant. And the word enmity, the definition, uh, my BSU director got me this Bible Dictionary. So this is where what it said about it. It's deep-seated anim- animosity or hatred. Another synonym for it is hostile. So 
It's talking about people that have friendships with the world. It means enmity against God. This is hostile towards God when we choose the world over Christ, when we choose things of the world rather than him. And I want to make a distinction. This isn't talking about that you can't be friends, you can't be friendly with the world. Uh, This would contradict the Great Commission. You know, we're called to make disciples of all nations. Of course, you can't make disciples of all nations if you do not talk to people that are not of Christ. I want to make that clear. James isn't telling us that we cannot uh, talk to non-Christians. This is saying there's a big distinction between friendships and acquaintances. There's a big difference. And it goes on to say in verse 4, Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. See, what's talking about choosing the world is choosing the desires of the world. It's choosing your flesh. Because since the very beginning, when Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned against God, uh, we now have a flesh that is inclined to sin. Uh, If a man says that he does not sin, he is fooling himself. Uh, I forget what verse that is. I think it's uh, 1 John 1.8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, Just because we're saved doesn't mean we're never going to sin again. I don't want anyone to get that distinction, uh, to mess that up, because we're still imperfect beings. Christ makes us worthy because he is in us, because his spirit is now in us when we give our lives to Christ. There's still nothing good about us. So when we choose the world over God, we are putting ourselves in opposition of the Lord. We are making ourselves an enemy of God. And I'm not talking about stumbling. I'm not talking about messing up and sinning, because like I said, that's going to happen to us all at some point in our lives. We're all going to stumble, regardless if we have the Spirit in us, because that's still our flesh. There's that constant battle within us that still causes us to sin. That's our flesh. It's our desires wanting to sin. But this is, I look at it as a lifestyle. Choosing to have friendship with the world is the lifestyle that you are choosing to lead. There's a difference between a lifestyle and a choice. You can make a choice and mess up, but when it's your lifestyle, we need to take a step back and check out our motives. That's what it talks about uh, above in verse 3, What motives do you have? Why did you supposedly start following Christ in the first place? Was it an emotional experience at church camp? Was it just an altar call? Why did you truly start following Christ? Was it your parents kind of pushed it on you? Because I believe, you know, uh, once saved, always saved, the perseverance of the saints. And I don't believe in losing your salvation because I see... It's us that made the mistake in thinking that we were truly saved when we were not. It's not that we lost our salvation, it's that we didn't truly have it in the first place. So what's your motives? What pushes you to do the things that you do? Are you really truly influenced by the word of God and what it has to say? Are you just influenced by the church and your parents around you? What's truly influenced you? What's truly motivating you? Is it because Christ has made a change in your heart? Or is it just because of everything else going on around you? 
Thank, and then it goes on to say in verse 5, Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us? See, God longs to have a relationship with us after he's given us his Spirit. He wants to have a relationship with us. God doesn't want us to choose the world. God wants us to choose him. God wants us to choose to have a relationship with him. He jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us. And I think a lot of times we make the mistake of thinking that going to church is having a relationship with God when there's more to having a relationship with God than uh, showing up every Wednesday or Sunday. It's more than that. Just like any other relationship, you have to invest time into that relationship. Uh, I'm dating Holly, as you guys know. I can't expect to have an effective relationship with her if I don't spend time with her. If we don't talk to each other and spend time, and the same is true with God. You have to set time apart with God so that you can grow closer to him by spending time in his word and seeing what it has to say by spending time in prayer. That's how we grow closer to God, by spending time with him. And thankfully, it goes on to give us good news in verse 6 because we all continue to fall short. We all continue to make mistakes. Because, you know, one sin is enough to separate us from eternity. Now, let me explain that a little more. Without Christ, one sin is enough to separate us from eternity. That's how serious sin is. And I think sometimes we forget how big a deal it is. We kind of just brush it off like, oh, I messed up. And we'll see later on the attitude you should have when you do sin. But sin... It damages our life. It isn't something that we just brush over. It it affects us. It has a negative impact on us. Uh, some people might say, "Well, I might have lied, but at least I didn't, you know, kill someone." Yes, of course, there's a difference, but it's still damaging to us. It's still damaging to our witness. And what I mean by witness is how people look at us in our relationship with God. That's what they see. It's our walk with God. And I think it's interesting, I, I forgot who said this, but it's pretty good. It's, you know, sin, all sin is poison, it's just different kinds of poison. Poison is still poison, it still affects you, it still damages you, it still hurts you. It might be different kinds, and one might be more severe than the other, but it still hurts you. Sin is something that, as we see in this world, that people don't take serious anymore. Uh, they go throughout their lives following, you hear the saying, follow your heart, go follow your heart. We, we need to not trust our heart. We need to trust what the word of God has to say. That's the only truth that we should follow, is the word of God. That's where the ultimate truth comes from. And in today's society, we've become so comfortable with the idea of sinning. We have talked ourselves into thinking it's so okay, and we forgot how damaging it is to us ourselves and how it affects our day-to-day lives. It's not something to be taken lightly. Like I said, one sin without Christ could separate you from God in eternity. But thankfully, God gives us more grace. As it says in verse 6, God gives us more grace. He gives us more graces, and we don't deserve eternity, but he has given us an avenue to have that through him. By accepting him into our lives, he atones 
our sins. He wipes away our sins in the eyes of God. And that's only through Christ. It's nothing that we do. It's nothing that we do, but it's what Christ does through us. Because that's the only good that is in us. So it goes on to say in verse 6, it says, But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, and he shows favor to the humble. And this is really my big focus for the day. This is why I chose this verse. And it's the idea of the arrogant, the proud, the prideful, and the humble, the distinction between the two. And we see uh, verse 6 actually goes straight back into verse 4. And when verse 4 is talking about the people that choose friendship with the world, this, these are the proud people. If you notice someone that's proud, someone that's prideful... They have a lot of highs and lows. And the reason they have a, high, a lot of highs and lows is because they're depending on themselves to get through something. Because let me in on your secret. If you depend on yourself in every single situation, you're going to fall short. It might not happen right away, but it's going to happen. We don't need to place our confidence in ourselves because in situations when times get hard, it's going to be really hard to make it through. As imperfect beings, it's not something that's reliable. I know I'm not reliable. I know that I continue to fall short each and every time. We can't continue to rely on ourselves when times get hard. We can't continue to be prideful and think, well, I'll get through it. I don't want to bring this forward. I don't want to pray about this to God. I don't want to lay this before God because I can get through it. I'm I'm strong enough, but let let me in on it. Let me let you in on something. You're not strong enough. Sure, there are some situations you could probably get through on your own, but there's going to come one that you cannot. There's going to come a storm so strong that it's going to knock your house completely flat on the ground. There's going to be a situation in your life that you don't feel like you can get through, and in reality it's because you can't. The only way that you can get through it is if you rely on Christ and not of yourself. And I love how it goes on to say he shows favor to the humble. And the idea of being humble is such a profound idea. It's such a hard thing to see. Uh, there's people throughout society that think, you know, being humble is being weak. You know, you need to be confident. You need to be strong in yourself. But I think it has... You have to have more strength to be humble than you have to, than strength it takes to be arrogant. And I like how it goes on. God opposes the prideful because they rely on God, and He shows favor to the humble because they rely on Him. They don't find their confidence in themselves. Uh, there's a psalm, of course, Psalms is great as all books of the Bible are. In Psalms chapter 10, verse 4, it says, In his pride, a wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. That's why God opposes the prideful, because there is no room for God in their minds, because they are so consumed with themselves that there is no way for them to have time to think about God. All they think about is of themselves. They're so consumed with themselves, they don't have time to spend time with God because they're so impressed with who they are. Like I said, in this life, the proud will be humbled. 
In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, it describes what happens to those who have pride. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So we have a choice uh, in times that we've been prideful. When we're humbled, when a situation comes, when we're brought down to our knees and all we can look up to is God, we can either tough it out and then continue to make the same mistakes over and over again, or we can choose to submit ourselves to Christ. So you might ask, how do you submit yourself to Christ? How do you submit yourself to God? Chapter, or verse 7 through 9 really gives a perfect explanation on how you submit yourself to God. Verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submitting yourself from to God is running away from the desires of your flesh. It's fleeing from God. It's resisting the devil. It's staying away from the sins that you know you struggle with. And it's not only staying away from them and saying no to them. It's taking yourself out of those situations where you typically succumb to those temptations. You've got to resist the devil. You have to flee from the devil. And that's how you will get through tough times. That's, how you, that's one way that you submit to God. You've got to get away from your sin. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be clean before you can come forward to Christ because you, in all reality, you can never get to that point. I don't want to think that you have, I don't want you guys to think that you have to get right with God before you can come and pray to him. That's not the case. God takes us as we are. But we have to flee from these temptations that draw us away from God. In verse 8, it goes on to say, come near to God and he will come near to you. Like I was saying earlier, you can only come near to God by spending time with God. You can only come near to God by spending time with him and growing your relationship with him through prayer and spending time in church with fellow believers and fellowshipping with them and learning from them. I've learned so much in my time in college because of these, this group of people in front of you that I would not be able to learn by myself. That's why it's so important to surround yourself with other believers so that you can continue to grow and grow closer to God. There's so much stuff that I've learned from Zach that I probably would have never learned myself. And that's the beautiful way that the church works is that we can continue to build each other up, continue to learn from each other. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Humble yourselves and realize that you can't grow closer to God on your own. God provides the church for us to grow in, to build our relationship in for a reason. The reason we have church is to fellowship with one another and worship God and lead people to him. And I think it's a beautiful thing. It goes on to say in verse 8, it says, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So you need to wash yourself clean and get over that sin. Of course, it's hard. It's, sometimes it always keeps coming back up, but seek forgiveness from God. Say, God, I'm struggling with this. I need to get through this. I can only get through it with you. Wash your hands from those sin and draw near to God. That's how you can wash your sins is by giving, getting forgiveness from him. He, God can wash away all our mistakes and all our sins through the sacrifice that Christ had for us for dying on the cross for us. And I like the looking into the idea where it says purify your hearts, you double-minded. Uh, 
James, I believe, is actually the only book that talks about the double-minded. And I think a lot of times in society, we try to have more than one truth. We try to say, well, there's worldly wisdom, and then there's godly wisdom. Well, what's funny is a lot of the good worldly wisdom comes from the word of God, comes from the morality that the Bible has set before us. Have you noticed that? Uh, You'll hear people say, yeah, just, you know, turn the cheek. And they'll not act like that didn't come from the Bible. They'll act like it's some profound worldly wisdom that they have. There's no such thing as good worldly wisdom because most of the time it circles, all the time it'll circle back around to being in God's word. It'll come from God's word. God's word is the ultimate standard. It's the, it's the only truth. God's word is the only truth. There isn't any other truth. And it's a blessing that God has given us, has given us his truth in the form of his word, in the form of the Bible, that we can open it and read it and learn more about him and learn more about what he wants in our lives. That's such a blessing because really we don't deserve that. We don't deserve to have a relationship with God. We haven't done anything to earn it. It's by his grace and it's by his mercy that we have that with him. And then in verse 9, this kind of confused me at first when I was studying it. It said, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And I was like, okay, I, I don't quite understand this. So I just kept studying it and reading into it. And this is the attitude we should have when, we're, when we are repenting. When we are turning away from our sin. We shouldn't be joyful. We shouldn't be happy when we sin. This is referring to repentance. We should, this is realizing how important and how crucial it is to sin. We got to agree. We got to mourn. We got to wail to realize how important it is. Because if you don't do these things, you're not recognizing how bad the thing you did was. This is how you turn from it by recognizing how awful and how disgusting that sin was that you took part in. Repent from it. You know, repentance isn't just praying to God. God, I pray and ask that uh, you take this sin away from me. I pray and ask that you forgive this. Repentance is turning away. This is distancing yourself from this sin. Yes, of course, when you are repenting, you need to come to God and lay it before God. But you've got to do your part too. You have to get away from it. Take yourself out of the situation where you keep giving in to that sin. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Quit putting your desires and your wants and your so-called needs above what the Bible says. Because when you do that, you'll never be fulfilled. When you follow your heart, you'll never find fulfillment in life. Sure, you can go on for a while distracting yourself with worldly things, but eventually... You're going to be alone, and you're going to stay, and you're going to think, I'm not happy. I don't know what I'm missing in my life. And the answer, the ultimate answer, the true answer is you're missing Christ in your life. That's the only thing on this earth that's going to give you true fulfillment. It's the only thing is having a relationship with him. I'm going to pray and then we're going to go into a time of invitation and I'm going to pray and ask that 
if any of you have anything on your heart that you just lay it before God. Don't keep it to yourself. I'm not saying you have to come up here, but feel more than welcome to if you feel like that's what God's leading you to do. You can pray your pew. Just lay your struggles before God and he'll take care of the rest. Dearly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. It's just such a blessing to be able to share your word and to share what you've done for us, to share that you, the only fulfillment in life comes from you, God. We're just so thankful for your grace and your mercy, for dying on the cross when we don't even deserve that, Lord. It's such a blessing that you've done this for us. I pray that everyone recognizes it. I pray that each of us recognize the sacrifice that it took for us to one day spend eternity with you, Lord. I pray and ask that you just bless this invitation. In Christ's name I pray, amen.